Who's excited about Christmas? Anybody? Oh, gosh, my goodness. Listen, Christmas is supposed to be full of joy, right? Lots of family bonding and memorable moments. It's like supposed to be like, like that Hallmark movie where it all works out perfect. That's like every Hallmark movie, right? You know, you, you've probably seen the little joke going around. Um, what has uh, 600 characters and one plot? It's 45 Hallmark movies. <laughs> yeah, anyway. You know, I think we all want our Christmas to be perfect. You know, we kind of want it to be like Instagram, Facebook, Twitter perfect. And like, I don't know, the, the meal is perfect and the family bonding is like warm and fuzzy perfect. And the gifts are perfect. And we all want it to be perfect. But sometimes reality doesn't always match up to what we want. Watch this little clip. This seems like how my family Christmas goes. <laughs> Anybody have a Christmas like that? That's one of my favorite Christmas movies. Uh, I don't know if you missed it in there, but when she's eating the dry turkey, she flicks it off her fork. You've got to go home and watch it. She doesn't actually eat it. She flicks it off her fork. It's my favorite part. I'm pretty sure they followed my family around with secret cameras for like a month to make that movie, all right? You know, we all want our, our Christmas to be perfect. You know, not just our Christmas, but we want our lives to be perfect. You know, one of the things that social media has done for us is it's given us these perfect snapshots of perfect moments, and we think that's like all of life. We think that's like real life. But those are very captured moments. None of us put the bad pictures on social media, do we? You know, we only put the really good ones in there. You know, the ones that make me look, you know, 20 pounds lighter and all that kind of stuff. When our dreams for Christmas meet the reality of our lives, sometimes Christmas can be depressing instead of uplifting. For many people, the Christmas experience fails to give them the joy that they had hoped for because we've set the bar so high for this perfect Hallmark Channel Christmas that no one could ever actually meet that kind of standard. How do we keep the joy in our Christmas experience? Or how do we rediscover the joy of Christmas if we lost it somewhere along the way? Well, in our scripture this morning, we're going to look at a, a somewhat uh, forgotten person in the Christmas story, and that's the guy Joseph, who oftentimes doesn't get a lot of press during the Christmas story. We're going to see how he discovered joy in the midst of what was not exactly the Christmas that he had planned. We find that story in Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. You're familiar with the scripture where it says, the birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his, Mary mother had, after his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is by the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. When Joseph got up from sleeping, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her, but he did not know her intimately until she gave birth to a son, and he had named him Jesus. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. 
Of course, in verse 18, we're sort of inserted into the middle of the Christmas story. They had already made their way to Bethlehem because of the census that went out. And if you want to read that scripture, you have to come on Christmas Eve. We've saved the, the like, most epic scripture for Christmas Eve. So you've got to come to the Christmas Eve service. So we sort of jump into the middle of the, of the story here. They've already gone to Bethlehem, uh, and, and there they're, they're on their way. And, and, of course, you know she's pregnant, and she's great with child. And, of course, she has the child while they're there in Bethlehem. But think about this all from Joseph's perspective, sort of the forgotten character in the Christmas story. Here's Joseph who had a plan for his life. Now, we don't know a lot about Joseph from the Bible. It doesn't really tell us a lot, but he was a good Jewish guy, so he had a plan for his life. You know, when you're 14, you know what the plan for your life is? To play Fortnite 20 hours a day and sleep four hours a day and then maybe eat in there somewhere, all right? When you're 24, you cut that in half. You only want to play Fortnite for like 10 hours a day and then you want to, no, I'm kidding. But Joseph had like a plan for his life. Like, like most young men, he wanted to fall in love, marry his sweetheart, get a good job, raise a family, and live that joy-filled, happily-ever hallmark life. That's what everyone wants, right? Joseph was a hard-working, honest man. We know that he was a carpenter, and so he worked with his hands. He was, he was a good, hard-working, honest man. He deserved that kind of joy in his life. But then Joseph finds out, in the midst of this plan that he was making for his life, that his fiancée was pregnant. And he knew for a fact the child was definitely not his because he had not done anything that could have caused her to be pregnant. And suddenly, Joseph's entire world was changed. Now, we know, because we look back through the Scripture, and we know that this was part of God's plan, and this whole thing was from God. But imagine how it felt Joseph felt in that moment. Right? He didn't have 2,000 years of church history on his side to be able to read through. In his perspective, my fiance, who I've given my life to and devoted my life to, is pregnant, and I know the kid's not mine. What's she been up to? And now she's saying, God did it. Yeah, right, blame it on God. And she's, he's thinking to himself, wow. Suddenly the joyous life that he had dreamed of seemed impossible to achieve. His hopes, his plans, his dreams, his little perfect thing that he thought was going to be great is suddenly shattered when he hears this news. You know, I think that many of us can relate to how Joseph must have felt in that moment. You see, we all have dreams about how our life is supposed to turn out. We're going to go to such and such college and such and such graduate school, and we're going to get a residency here or there, and then we're going to, kind of, I don't know, marry our high school sweetheart, and off we're going to go through, through life, and it's just going to be fantastic, and we're always going to get a raise and a positive performance review, and all of our kids are going to be like, like well-behaved, and they're all going to always dress just right, and they're never going to talk back, and, and, we're, and it's always going to be perfect, right? And we're always going to be healthy and whole and never have any problems, uh, and that's the way we sort of dream out our life. But real life often shatters our dreams. Real life is often filled with dried up turkeys and kitty litter in Jell-O, or kitty food or whatever that was in Jell-O, and Cousin Eddie. <laughs> yeah, most of us have a Cousin Eddie. If you haven't seen the movie, you've got to watch the movie, all right? You know, we have one of those in our life and in our family. And if you don't know who your Cousin Eddie is, I've got some bad news. <laughs> it might be you. <laughs> Real life often shatters our dreams and robs us of our joy. And there we are with it, trying to figure out, how do I have a joyful Christmas? How do I have a joyful January, February, March? How do I have a joyful life when real life didn't fit the dream that I planned out for my life? 
we tend to feel the pain of that shattered illusion of life more acutely around the Christmas season and other special days. You know, Christmas, uh, maybe Mother's Day, maybe other special days. We, we begin to feel that pain much more acutely around special days when everyone else seems so happy. You know, it's when everyone's posting all those amazing pictures, you know, on, on Instagram about how great everything looks, and we're looking at our Christmas tree thinking, that looks like a Charlie Brown special tree, you know? You know, you know, some people wrap their presents all perfect, like everything's a crease. And then there's some that look like someone kind of balled up like a ball of mess. And I, I confess, all right, you want me to confess today? So my wife, I helped her plant some, 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 uh, wrap some gifts this week. And at one point I ran out of tape. So there may or may not be two packages hidden behind the tree that, are, that have some duct tape on them. Because duct tape fixes everything, okay? Everything. <clears throat> but that will not be on Instagram, <laughs> all right? You know, everyone else's life seems so perfect at Christmas. Holiday parties and everyone's smiling and wonderful. And then we look at our life and it doesn't look quite the same. And so these feelings of inadequacy, these feelings of failure, these feelings that life didn't work out the way we thought it was going to seem more acute at times in which it should be the most joyful and the most happy. Here at Christmas time, when we should be excited about family and bonding and friends and all the wonderful things that God has done for us, it should be like the best time of the year, and oftentimes we are instead focused on all the things that didn't turn out the way we thought. And when these feelings come, sometimes we sort of go into sort of like a holding pattern. We just sort of feel numb, and so we, we go through all the motions and we smile. You know, most of us have our, like, smile. This is our holiday smile we put on. You know, we, we wave at people, uh, and we, we act like we're happy. And inside, we're feeling hollow and empty, just sort of like holding patterns. Some people actually fall into actual depression. Like they actually are depressed during the time of the year in which we're supposed to bring joy. And, and, and it's a really sad thing to watch. It's a sad thing to experience if you've ever experienced it. You know, we, we go into this holding pattern. We go into depression sometimes, neither one of which will end up having the joy in our life that we want. So what do we do when our dreams are shattered? What do we do when life doesn't turn out the way we had expected? How do we rediscover our joy? Well, as we look at the story of Joseph, we see how it happened for him. We see how he rediscovered joy in the midst of when life didn't go the way he thought it was going to go. There in verse 19, it says, So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. Now, for this verse to make sense, you do have to understand a little bit about the culture of that time period. Okay, uh, today, if you ask someone to like, you know, marry you and you kind of enter into an engagement, it's just sort of a kind of an agreement between the two of you. And if three months later or six months later you decide, hey, this isn't going to work out and you break it off, uh, you know, I don't know, I guess it's disappointing and I don't know what you're going to do with all the, the invitations that you bought, but I mean, it's, it, you don't have to go to a lawyer, okay? Back then it was different. Back then when this scripture was written, uh, uh, engagement was a much more formal affair. And the families would sometimes negotiate for weeks or months or even years to work out these marriages. And then when they finally worked it all out and whatever it was going to be and the, and the dowry and all that kind of stuff, there was like formal documents that were, were, were filed. And though you were only engaged, the only way to break off the engagement was actually to get divorced. Uh, what, a, what a challenge that must have been. So once a person was engaged... And if you wanted to have a formal divorce, there was like all the stuff you had to do. And typically, it only happened if one party was found to have been unfaithful to the other. And so if you heard about an engagement being broken off in a divorce in the first century without anyone explaining it, you pretty much knew that somebody did something that they were not supposed to do. So imagine how Joseph felt in that moment when he found out his fiancée was pregnant and he obviously knew that it wasn't his. The culturally acceptable thing to do 
that all of his peers were assuming that he would do is to publicly proclaim the way you would do it is you would go down to the, to the sort of the gates of, where, of the city where the, the, the city leaders sort of set and you would proclaim, my fiance uh, has been unfaithful and I've decided to break off the divorce or break off the, the engagement and I'm going to divorce them. And it w- that would have been publicly acceptable. But would it have been right? In this situation, would it have been right? Well, of course, the answer is no, because she had not been uh, unfaithful. Mary was telling him that this was something from God. I really can't imagine what that conversation went like. I really can't imagine it. From just a human perspective, I can't imagine how they were trying to process that. It's hard for me today as a person to process how physically God could do something because that defies all the laws of medical science. Fortunately, I've come to understand, as you have, that God is the one that wrote the law, so God can create exceptions anytime he wants to. Uh, But from their perspective, imagine how difficult this was to believe. But somewhere in this whole process of hearing that his wife was expecting a child that he knew was not his, Joseph decides to remain righteous during this painful period of life. There we find a key to how we might respond to difficult moments of life. When life does not work out the way we thought it was going to, we must decide to be righteous even during the painful periods of life. You know what it means to be righteous? It simply means doing the right thing from God's perspective. Now, we live in a culture that has all kinds of ideas about what is right. Our culture says this is right and that's right. But, you know, sometimes our culture is wrong. But guess who's never wrong? God is never wrong. God has declared in his word certain behaviors and certain ways we treat each other and we relate to each other that is right. And righteous simply means doing the right thing from God's perspective. And Joseph was determined that during this period of painful difficulty that he would do what was right, even if it wasn't perhaps what his cultural peers and his peer pressure was trying to get him to do. He was determined to do right, even if his personal circumstances were challenging. Now that's something that we can learn and we should learn because that's the first step to sort of rediscovering joy when we go through a painful situation. You see, when life does not treat us fairly, we must be determined to do the right thing instead of becoming bitter and resentful. Sadly, we are living in an age of outrage. Our current culture around us basically says that the way you're supposed to respond to difficulty is you're supposed to scream and shout and be angry and vicious. We've become, we've lost, a, we've lost compassion and ni- niceness in American society. And now we riot and scream and protest anytime we don't get our way. And if someone offends us, oh my goodness, God forbid you would offend me. That's like the unpardonable sin in today's world that we would offend someone. And so our culture has now said it's okay to just do whatever we have to do to make the other side be shamed into sort of surrendering if they offend me in some way. And perhaps in that moment, revenge might feel sweet, perhaps in that moment. But it leaves a poison in our soul that does not go away. Bitterness and anger grows like a cancer that will take over every facet of our life. Uh, Most of you don't know much about my family's story. I had two great parents. My parents, my mom's passed away. My dad's still living. Wonderful Christian people. I thank God for them. They were the real deal. Um, I had some friends who said, well, my parents are hypocrites. I can't say that about my parents. My parents were the real deal. They weren't hypocrites. They were the real deal. I'm thankful for that. Uh, My mother grew up in a Christian home, so she was generations of a Christian example. My father did not grow up in a Christian home. He grew up in a a home that was unchristian, and he became a Christian when he met my mother. And she said, well, if you're going to date me, you got to be a Christian. And so she did a little of that kind of dating evangelism or whatever that's called. Uh, (coughs) My grandmother, 
uh, who was not a Christian until shortly before she passed away, was an angry, bitter old person. Honestly, she was the person you did not want to sit next to at Christmas dinner. She was worse than Cousin Eddie, okay? She was a very difficult person. She wasn't always that way. She had some things happen to her when she was younger, and that bitterness and that anger grew in her life until, honestly, she was the kind of person you didn't even want to answer your phone with. You know, you see, you ever, like, see the, someone's name come up on the phone, and you go, mm-mm, not today, no. <laughs> yeah, that was my grandmother. Thankfully, right before she died, she did become a Christian. I only got to see her one time after she became a Christian, and she was a completely transformed person. It was like, wow, where did all that anger and bitterness go? Well, the Lord took it away, and I thought, that's the grandmother I wanted all of my life. I can't wait to go to heaven and go cook bake cookies at my grandmother's mansion. I'm assuming that works like that in heaven, okay? Because I didn't get to do that on this side of heaven because I didn't want to <laughs> be with her too much. You see, anger and bitterness, even when it's like legitimate, it's like caused by someone who's done something to harm you, it just doesn't bring joy to our life. We cannot anger and bitter our way out of pain. All we can do is somehow find a different road, a different path. We must determine to do the right thing even when life has not been fair to us. Because revenge, bitterness, and anger will never lead to joy. If we look at verse 20, uh, verse 20 is actually a, a fairly long verse, and so I've kind of broken it up into three little pieces because each piece sort of shows us a, a way in which you might discover joy. Uh, at the beginning of verse 20, it says that after he, that's of course Joseph, after Joseph had considered these things. Now that's an important piece right there. Joseph took time to think before he acted. Wow, there's a transformational thought <laughs> to just take time to think before we act. Wow. How many times have we gotten ourselves into trouble because we acted before we took time to think? I mean, I, we could show, have a show of hands and we pretty much all have to put our hand up, right? Sometimes we hit that enter button when we should have hit the delete button. And if we had just waited 10 seconds longer, we would have thought, mm, no, I don't want to post that. I don't want to send that email. Sometimes we open our mouths and words tumble out. And even as we're saying them, we think, stop, like stop. You ever just wanted to stop in the middle of a sentence, but you just couldn't because they were just coming. And it was like a a torrent of words. And then you thought later, that is not going to make Christmas good. (laughs) We could save ourselves a lot of heartache if we'd count to ten (laughs) before we post on social media or say something angry at work or home or at a Christmas party. Hey, over the next few days, we're going to gather with family and friends, some of them we haven't seen since last year. And there are certain, uh, there's always in every family, certain people like, ooh, I like, I'm looking forward to seeing this one and this one over here. I still remember what they did at Cousin Eddie's wedding, you know, three years ago, and it still makes me angry every time I see them. And there's going to be these moments in which we're going to have to decide, am I going to say that thing, kind of that zinger, and let them have it? <laughs> am I going to just be quiet and do the right thing? Look at the next part of verse 20. The angel of the Lord suddenly appeared to him, again, that's Joseph, in a dream. While Joseph was thinking about how he should respond to this difficult situation, while he was thinking instead of just taking immediate action, while he was thinking and pondering and and trying to think, is this the way I should respond? God sends him a message. Isn't that wonderful to think that in the midst of our time in which we're thinking about something, that God sends us a message. I love the book of James. Uh, Over in James, there's one place there where it says, if we lack wisdom, we can ask of God, and he will give us that wisdom with generosity. And I need all the generous wisdom that I can get in my life. And I'm guessing that you do too. It is amazing that when we take time to stop and think 
about how we should respond to painful situations in our life, it is in those moments that God speaks to us. That it's in those moments when we've sort of paused and taken a breath and we've reached out and said, God, I need a clear word. It's in those moments that we hear so clearly. And I've often wondered, why is it that we hear so clearly in a moment of pain when sometimes we don't hear so clearly in that hallmark perfect moment whenever everything seems perfect? And somehow that's just the way we are as human beings. Somehow as people, when everything is going great, we're not listening. And when everything's falling apart and there's pain in the moment, that's when God seems to speak the loudest. But that's okay, isn't it? I mean, isn't it when we're in the midst of our pain or the midst of our crisis that we actually need to hear God's voice the loudest? Isn't that when we need to hear him the most? And so if it seems like the only time you hear from God is when everything's going bad, that's not necessarily bad, is it? That's actually a good thing because that's when we need to hear from him most. And it was in this moment that, that God spoke to Joseph while he was taking some time and was sort of calming down that's the moment that God spoke. And what did God say to Joseph? Well, keep looking at the rest of verse 20 there. Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is actually by the Holy Spirit. The message that Joseph receives from God changes his perspective on the entire situation. Now, Mary has already told him that she didn't cheat. Mary has already said this was from of God. But he's thinking to himself, that can't possibly be right. You must be lying to me. And then God gets involved in the situation, and God says, no, this really is from God. It really is a miracle. And he discovers that Mary had not only not cheated on him, but Mary has actually been chosen by God for a glorious task. You see, little Jewish children, when they would go to Sabbath school, they would hear about the promised Messiah. They would hear about the promised Messiah, and they would hear about one day, one day a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and that he would be Emmanuel, God with us. And he realized in this moment, not only has she not cheated on me, but she's the one that I've been learning about for all of my life that would bear the Christ child. And this was a glorious, wonderful thing. What he thought was bad was actually incredibly amazing and wonderful. How it changed his perspective. But you know what it also means? It means that Joseph had also been chosen by God to take part in this wonderful experience. Because Joseph and Mary were about to be married. It means that the God of the universe, just think about this, the God of the universe entrusted Joseph with being the stepfather to his own son. Wow! Suddenly, suddenly what felt like betrayal and pain and hurt became a realization, an aha moment as Joseph realized the enormous trust God the Father was placing on him and how the entire scenario, the entire story changed in that moment. And I'm sure as Joseph pondered his life and as he thought about all this deep thinking he was doing in this moment, he probably began to realize that this was actually something that God had prepared Joseph for throughout his life without him even realizing it until this moment. It was this, it was this very thing that was his purpose in life. He didn't discover it until this moment, but as he looked back, I'm sure he could see all the pieces putting together, and he was like, oh, God, I see what you were doing there. Isn't that the way it is oftentimes in our lives? 
we're going through difficulty, we're going through challenges, we're going through hardships, and, and in those moments of clarity when we're praying and we're seeking God and we're trying to get an answer from God for how we're supposed to handle some very difficult thing that we're experiencing, and that God speaks to us and he gives us insight in these moments of trial and difficulty, there, there's something about discovering our purpose and something about beginning to fulfill that purpose that we go, oh, God, I see. I see how all that time I thought this was a disaster when actually you were working behind the scenes to make something good come out of what I thought was something bad. And then that does something inside of us. Suddenly the very thing that caused pain and hurt begins to give purpose, begins to give meaning, and begins to give joy. I shared with you a little bit last week, those of you who were here, a little bit of the story of how my family interacted with a, a drunk driver and all the things that, that happened with that 20 years ago in our lives. And that very thing that seemed so painful at the moment that it happened, how it became an incredible testimony of God's glory and power when it was all finished on the other side. That is often the way God works in our lives. He takes the very thing that seems impossible and he turns it somehow into the tapestry that he is weaving together of our entire life. That family that we were brought up in, uh, those experiences we had as a teenager, those things that happened to us in college, those, those, those struggles of the early days of our marriage, all of those things somehow weave together in this incredible tapestry that at the moment when we're experiencing, it seems like frazzled ends that we're clinging to, but when we look at it from sort of reflective over time, we realize it's an incredible tapestry that God has created. It's like our life, and it gives us purpose. It gives us meaning. And it helps us to discover great joy. Perhaps this Christmas, maybe instead of trying to get the packages quite so perfect, maybe instead of trying to get the tree quite so perfect, maybe instead of trying to make sure the turkey is just quite perfect, maybe we should spend some time asking God to show us a new perspective of looking at some things that we're going through in our life some challenges and some hardships and some, some things that we're still trying to figure out. Maybe we need to say, God, can you just give me a different perspective on those things so that I can discover what the purpose of that thing is in my life? Because everything that's happened to us has some kind of a purpose. And when we begin to discover that purpose, that will help us to find more joy than we ever thought possible in our lives. That's a good place for someone to say amen. There you go. You'll get that in a minute. I'll give you some cue cards. Well, look at verse 21. It goes on in verse 21, and here's what the angel said. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. I love how God gives Joseph some instruction on how to handle the situation. He said, okay, so you know this hasn't really happened to anyone before. There's never been a virgin birth. We're trying to help you figure this thing out. So here's the instruction. Give the kid a name, and his name is Jesus. He also gives him a purpose. He said, hey, your kid's going to have a purpose. He's going to you know, save the world from their sin. Just a small little thing, nothing, nothing big, just a small thing, you know, uh, a little thing there. You know, I think it's interesting how God often gives us instructions to sort of move us forward and grow from various challenges that we face in life. God has not left us without direction. I'm so thankful for that. Now, you might be saying, well, Terry, I feel like I'm without direction. I don't feel like I have any, I've got this problem I'm going through, and I don't know what to do next. Well, have you looked into the instruction manual? You know, God, we did come with an instruction manual. It's called the Bible. <laughs> we do have an instruction manual. It's incredible how when we read the Bible, you know, I read the Bible every morning. I, I read the Bible, and when I read in the mornings, it is amazing how something that I read later that day, something will happen. I was like, oh, those two things go together. Like, how did God know that? You think he's God or something. Yeah, yeah, think about that. You know, God's given us the Bible. God's given us prayer. 
You know, you ever prayed about something? And just in that time of praying, you just come to this, like you can't even explain it, but this moment of realization, like, oh, oh, that's what God wants me to do with that. Like, duh. Like, wow. You ever go to church? Or maybe small group? And just like one sentence that the pastor says, or not even the pastor, it might be someone, I've had people say something to me like just out in the lobby, like one sentence, and you're like, that's, that's the word from God I needed today that helps me know what to do. It's like amazing how God puts all that together. Sometimes God uses circumstances to guide us. Uh, you know, I always find it interesting when someone says, oh, I'm praying for a new job, I'm praying for a new job, and I've got three job offers. Like, well, sounds like your prayer's been answered like three times over. You know, like, wow, like, like, what are you, like, are you looking for an angel? Like, what, give, give, me, give me the help here, you know. We have the Bible, we have prayer, we have church, we have circumstances, all that guide us in making a wise decision. God has not left us without direction. Thank God for that. But here is what's interesting. If you look at ver- very closely here, verse 21, there's a whole lifetime he's gonna, that Joseph is going to have to raise Jesus and figure out how to do all kinds of stuff. How many instructions does he get at once? Just a little tiny bit. He said, give him the name Jesus. Okay, there's, that's like a very basic instruction. Let's start with that. All right, he gives him some instructions, but he doesn't tell him every step for his entire life. Could you imagine how overwhelming it would have been if they had said, by the way, about two years into his life, the king's going to try to kill him and is going to actually slaughter every child, every boy child his age, and you're going to have to flee to Egypt and live in Egypt for a while as a refugee. <coughs> and then when you come back, you're not going to come back to your hometown. You're going to have to go to a different town, and you're going to have to live there for like 20 years. And then when your boy gets 30, he's actually going to become like a celebrity. It's going to be exciting for about three years, and then he's going to get murdered by, his, you know, by the government there you know, on a cross. And that would have been a little bit much to hear all at once. So God gives Joseph just enough instruction to take the next step. That's exactly what God does for us. And we actually should be glad that he doesn't give us the whole thing at once. If, if we knew everything that was going to happen in our life every moment from now until we die, honestly, we'd be so overwhelmed, we'd probably have to like go check ourselves into an institution somewhere. It would, be un, it would be just too much. God gives us the instructions we need at the moment to obey him and to do the right thing at the moment. And knowing that he's going to do that this moment, and he's going to do it the next moment, and he's going to do it the next moment, and the next moment, and the next moment, it should help us find joy in the midst of whatever we might be going through in life. Because I have confidence that even though I don't know the future, he does. And he will give me what I need to know in the moment in which I need to know it. So why am I stressed so much about it? Why am I so overwhelmed about it knowing that he's got this? And when he's ready, he'll tell me the peace that I need to know so I can have this too. What a beautiful, beautiful thought. Well, look at verse 24. When Joseph got up from sleeping, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her. So Joseph heard the message. He realized that he had instructions for what to do next. He didn't know like for the whole life, but he knew what he was supposed to do next. He realized there was a purpose to it, that this wasn't just random suffering and random pain, but there was a purpose to it. But Joseph still had to decide, was he going to follow those instructions and see that purpose fulfilled? I don't know if any of you have ever read books by Henry Blackaby. Henry Blackaby is one of my, one of my favorite authors, and he, he writes a lot of books. Most of them have the word experiencing God in them. So there's experiencing God in your church, experiencing God in your family, a lot of experiencing God type stuff. Uh, but one of the things he does, he talks about how God works in our life, and there's these steps, seven steps. that God, I won't take time to go through all that this morning, but seven steps. But at one step, it's step number four. It's what we call the crisis of belief. When God has revealed to you what he wants you to do next, and you have to decide, Am I going to do it or not? Now that I know what God wants me to do, 
Will I say yes to him and discover all the joy and the excitement and the power and the beauty of what comes next? Or will I say no to him and have to continue living apart from the will of God in my life? I think frequently we sense how God wants us to handle a certain situation. We've prayed, we've read the Bible, we've, we went to church and maybe talked to our small group that gave us some advice. We, we, we sort of got this idea of what we're supposed to do for the certain situation that we're working with in our life. But then we choose not to respond to what the Spirit is saying. And when we choose to say no to the Spirit of God and we quench the Spirit, we will lose our joy. We will lose the, the meaning and the purpose and the value that we're trying to find in life because we have stepped outside of this incredible declared plan for God that he has for us. Frequently, we understand that God has a purpose, but sometimes we don't like his purpose. I mean, I'm amazed by the people who say, well, I think God wants me to do this, but I don't understand what the but is for. All right, if we think God wants us to do X, then let's go do it with all of our might. Let's grab hold of whatever it is and let's do it with all of our energy and all of our vigor and all of our might because nothing else is going to make us satisfied. Nothing else is going to bring us joy. But sometimes we don't do that. We try to follow our own agenda and we lose two years, five years, eight years, ten years wandering in a spiritual wilderness until finally we realize I won't have joy until I come back to that thing God told me to do way back here and obey his will for my life. When we do these things, we lose our joy. And we find ourselves not only with a Christmas that isn't very fulfilling, but with a life that isn't very fulfilling. But Joseph gets up from his sleeping, and he did what the angel told him to do. Now, it wasn't easy, because by him saying yes to marrying jo uh, Mary, even though she was pregnant and the child wasn't his, that meant there were always going to be rumors swirling around. There were always going to be rumors of people whispering, well, maybe that really was his. Maybe they did a little hanky-panky before they got married, or maybe it was someone else's, and I don't know, he, he, he just didn't care or whatever. There's always going to be whispers and little gossips for the rest of his life, and we see it. We don't, again, we don't have time to look at the Scripture but, uh, for it, but if you go forward about 30 years, there was one particular argument that Jesus was having with the Pharisees, and at one point they kind of make a little slight against his parentage, and they say, well, you don't even know who your father is. What was that? That was 30 years of rumors still following Jesus around. Joseph knew that if he said yes to God in this moment, it wasn't that there would not be a cost to be paid. It wasn't that there would not be some, some price, okay? It wasn't that it was going to be easy to say yes to God. But he knew it was the right thing to do. Because in the end, it was an incredible life that Jesus lived, an incredible death that Jesus did for all of us so that Christmas could have meaning and purpose and value in all of our lives, so that we could be reconciled with God. Brothers and sisters, it is not always easy for us to obey the Lord because we are living in a post-Christian culture that is frequently telling us to do things that we know goes against the Word of God, and we're going to have to decide if we are going to do what is right or not. And if we decide to not do what is right, then we will have to pay the whatever that even greater price is for having a soul that is not in fellowship with the Lord. But if we decide to do what is right, even if there is some cost to pay, it's okay because it will help us to find joy and peace and happiness in our life because we will know deep in our spirit that we have done the right thing no matter what. And as we choose to do the right thing, when we hear a clear word from God, then we do indeed rediscover joy in our life. Well, let me bring all this to a close. I've said a lot this morning. Four things that I've tried to say, four points that I hope you've heard. 
for how to rediscover joy, not only during this Christmas season, but for life in general. Number one is do what is right, no matter the circumstances. Oh, I know, we can easily justify that snarky comment and that mean social media post, and we can easily justify a lot of of wrong ways to treat people. We can justify in our own minds all the reasons why we think it's okay. But deep in our heart as a fellow Christian, we know that it's not the way God would have us do. Let's do right, no matter the circumstances. Number two, we must take time to think before we react so that God can show us a new perspective. I'll tell you, waiting five minutes to respond, ten minutes to respond, a day to respond, sometimes it's the best response you can have because you respond in a much better way as God shows us a new perspective. Number three, remember that everything has a purpose, even the hard things in life. And knowing that everything has a purpose helps us to not lose our joy when the things that we're experiencing are not exactly what we planned and it doesn't go according to some plan that we made in life. It's okay because we know this has a purpose and in that purpose I can find joy. And then number four, follow God's instruction for how to handle things and then take whatever action we're instructed to do and that will lead to joy. There's something about hearing a clear word from God and saying yes to God from that clear word that brings joy into our lives. Now, I don't know what's going to happen for you in the next few days. I don't know if you're going to have a Cousin Eddie at your table. You're going to have jello with uh, cat food in it. You're going to have a turkey that's dry. I don't know if you're going to have a cat that chews through. It's one of my favorite scenes when the cat chews through the wire. We won't go into that. Anyway, uh, I I don't know what your Christmas is going to be like. But I know that it can be filled with joy if we will follow the example of Joseph. I don't know what life is going to be like, but I can know it can be filled with joy if we'll follow the example Joseph gave us in these scriptures. Would you bow your heads with me for a moment? And I think our worship team is going to come. And just quietly there in your seat as the Holy Spirit speaks to you. Have you lost a little bit of the joy in your life? Maybe there's been some things that haven't quite worked out the way you thought they were going to in life. And you thought that this would never happen, and yet it did. But you say, Lord, help me to do what's right, no matter the circumstances. Can you say, God, help me to to think before I react and show me a new perspective? Would you say, God, I know everything has a purpose, and so help me to find joy in the midst of trouble, because I know there's a purpose to the trouble. And as God shows you instruction, would you say, God, I promise to take action that follows your lead and gives me joy again? Lord, I pray in this moment that your Holy Spirit might be present in this moment, that he might speak to our hearts and our lives, that he might be our counselor. And in this moment, there might be some people in this room who rediscover the pathway to joy in their life. Because even though life doesn't always work out the way we thought it would, life can be incredibly joyful and incredibly filled with joy and peace and love and harmony because you have a purpose and you give us instructions and you show us a new perspective and we can do the right thing no matter what happens in life. Seal that in our hearts right now. We pray this in your holy name.